on America Can We Talk. I talk about election integrity, border security, healthcare freedom, race relations, energy and tax policy, education policy, free speech and assembly, freedom of religion, and all other issues that touch on the God-given right of every American to life, liberty, and the pursuit of their version of happiness. Stay tuned. Coming up next, America Can We Talk with your host, Debbie Georgianos. And hello and welcome to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie George Addis. Thank you so very much for tuning in today. And thank you for our studio audience for being here, just making it one of our fun Thursday shows. I want to say a very special thank you also to Brighteon, Brighteon TV, and Brighteon.com. This show is carried by Brighteon, and I'd love for you to go check out all the shows that are there, Brighteon.com, Brighteon TV, bunch of great shows. People who aren't actually filtered and censored by the mainstream media get to speak truth on Brighteon, so I, I encourage you to go there. I also want to thank Krista Branch, that great music that everyone identifies with my show, I Am America, is actually Krista Branch. She is a singer, her husband is the writer of the lyrics and the music, and when I asked her if I can, I said that, show, that song just captures my show, can I please use it? She said yes, just once in a while give me credit. So here I am, Krista Branch, <laughs> wonderful, wonderful singer, and actually just a, uh, uh, very successful, and she and her husband are in writing music about America. We have a great guest joining us today for our Thursday show in studio. Uh, wonderful to have him here, Mark Morano. I'm going to give a short introduction because I think as we go along, you learn more and more about him. But very shortly, very quickly, uh, he is the founder. First of all, the website called Climate Depot, Climate Depot, like D-E-P-O-T, climatedepot.com, um, and it is sponsored by Committee for a Constructive Tomorrow, or CFACT. I like that a lot, too. Um, he was uh, previously, he worked for the Rush Limbaugh television show, which had to be fun. I mean, anyone who's known Rush, I'm just happy to meet. Um, also, uh, he was the director of communications for Senator Jim Inhofe, and also the communications director for the Senate Environment and Public Works Committee under the George Bush administration. Um, he is a prolific writer on the subject of climate, or I'd like to say climate truth. Uh, he writes a lot about uh, the climate, and um, we're going to be talking about some of his books. One book, which he was on the show previously and we talked about, was this one called Green Fraud. Um, just a brilliant, in fact, the stickies are still there from last time he was on the show, where I was running through what I wanted to cover with him. He has a great, great new book out, and I believe uh, Mr. Emilio has a picture of the book to show. I don't have the book in hardcover. If you can show that picture of his book, there it is. Um, it's called The Great Reset, uh, Global Elite and the Permanent Lockdown. Just the title tells you a lot about where he's coming from. Uh, but that book, he also, very early on, um, was wrote, I think, the book about, well, we'll ask him more. He's written several books, basically, to tell you, talking about climate, lots and lots of research. And also, before I get to him, one last thing to tell you, he very bravely debated, debated, someone who believes in extreme climate alarmism change, uh, Bill Nye on global warming on the Pierce Morgan uh, show. That was in December of 2012. And again, January 2013, he debated Michael Brune, executive director of the Sierra Club, again on Pierce Morgan tonight. It's really bothersome to these people when they get presented with facts the people who are climate alarmists. They just want to tell you the truth and tell you about it and tell you what you're going to do with the rest of your life and confront them with facts and that upsets them very much. So please help me to welcome to the show, Mark Morano. Thank you very much. Didn't you, you start, I couldn't think of the book, uh, Politically Incorrect Guide? Yeah, The Politically Incorrect Guide to Climate Change came out in 2018 and that was your all-encompassing book, went through the science of climate change, the agenda, the children's indoctrination from kindergarten through college, uh, and the, uh, all, all the hard facts on extreme weather, hurricanes, floods, tornadoes, and, and the development aspect of that as well. Uh, you know, you have countries in Africa where a billion people don't have adequate running water and electricity, energy, poverty, and the UN solution 
is to pay the countries that are best able to keep their citizens locked in poverty and undeveloped. They're the way forward. You're doing it right. You know, you're burning dung in your hut. Uh, or, uh, you know, and, and this, is, this is the problem. They've literally, it's a modern version of colonialism that's evil. And that's my first book documented all of that. And it's an easy sort of coffee table reference guide. Thank you for thank you for all you do speaking up on this topic. We were talking at lunch before we came here. I'm going to dive into so many things, and we're both yeah. going to talk really fast. But I was going to say something about <laughs> the reason climate works as the reason COVID works in convincing people they better just listen to the experts because they're really complicated topics. They are they, they require people to learn and to read and to think. And so the average person thinks, well, the government told me to do this about COVID. The government told me this about climate. And they just surrender because they think they're not experts. So I just so commend you for taking the time to dig into the data and just uh, help really debunk a lot of what's been spread. So let's just start with, you gave me some slides, um, which I wanna, and um, Mr. Emilio, we're gonna just rock and roll finding these. Um, but there was one, you know, the big premise, of course, was climate, uh, was global warming. Global warming came along, um, and then there was a, and I think we had, do you have the graph on temperatures? Yes, you do, okay. Let's, and you can put it up here too. Can you do that too? Okay, uh, let's do this, because just to start with, can yeah. you tell us what this happy chart is telling this us? This is from our own federal government. The Biden administration has this chart on their website, the National Oceanic Atmospheric Administration. This is a chart of the last 500 million years of Earth's geologic history, and it shows you the temperature. Now, this is according to Joe Biden's administration. This is buried on a website, but the red are high temperatures. And you can see where we are today, way over there. We're in the blue. We're in one of the coldest periods of the last 500 million years according to the United States government, not according to conspiracy theorists, not according to some uh, you know, industry-funded fossil fuel shill. This is according to the National Oceanic Atmospheric, shows you the history. Now, see the little blue line at the bottom and then the little black dot? What they will try to do is start their line where the, the, the low point of that and say, look at how much we warm, this is unprecedented. That's what the cold climate con is all about. They get a fraction, a sliver of the Earth's geologic history, and they make a mountain out of a molehill and claim that this is going to be unprecedented and that we're going to have Florida underwater and extreme weather and uh, polar bears disappearing, et cetera. The data belies their claims. Just by that, by itself, not just that that is an amazing acknowledgement that 500 million years ago, is this, this uh, line saying that's the average temperature, the high temperature, is this average, I mean, the 90 degrees over there? It's adapted, yeah, it's showing you the average and then the, the swings in the temperature. So you can see where we've been in very similar cooler periods. And this you can go beyond. I mean, I interviewed Robert Giegengack from the University of Pennsylvania. He was the chair of the entire department, a liberal who voted for Al Gore. He went and saw Al Gore's movie. I profiled the scientist. He did hundreds of peer-reviewed study on almost every continent. And he said that after he saw Al Gore's movie, he was incredibly disappointed at what he saw. And literally, it, it, it upset him. But he explained that 90% of the Earth's history, geologic history, was warmer than today with too much, uh, you know, it's too warm to have ice at either pole. And also 90% of Earth's history had much, much higher CO2 levels. We are in probably the lowest period of carbon dioxide in Earth's history, 10% uh, lowest. And we even had a scientist testify when I was working with the United States Senate Environment and Public Works Committee named Will Happer, premier expert on greenhouse gases. He said that we are currently, the Earth is currently in a CO2 famine. Uh, and that is the bottom line. And Al Gore's producer, Lori David, will try to tell you that you know, CO2 goes up, goes up and then temperature, CO2 leads and then temperature falls. She even put it in a children's book, reversing the scientific charts. In reality, temperature goes up followed by CO2 by 800 to 1200 years. So there isn't that causal relationship. Now, CO2 can warm the atmosphere, but it's overwhelmed by hundreds of other factors, including tilt of the Earth's axis, water vapor, methane, the, solar, the sun, clouds, uh, ocean cycles. So the idea that carbon dioxide is the control knob of the climate just doesn't add up. And that's what scientists, it's incredible, left-wing scientists, former UN scientists are coming to that conclusion. 
it is an amazing thing. So to summarize where we are on this first slide is showing that back 500 million years ago up until now, uh, we we're basically a much cooler time than we were over much of the, of the Earth's history, 500 million years till now. And they pick a tiny little segment, which very much in the end, if you can all see that, they can show a little a blip up and then say, oh my gosh, look how it's rising. Also, Mr. Emilio. If you have the heat wave chart, that would be a good time to show that. If okay, can I do the CO2 one? Sure, Okay. So, uh, Mr. Emilio, there's one that I sent you and it's a CO2 chart, it says CO2 coalition, current levels of CO2 are near record levels. Let's rock and roll with that one. Okay, yeah. this was actually submitted to the SEC in a recent request for comment that had to do with the SEC was going to put out new regulations further controlling companies about exposing their alleged climate footprint. This is showing CO2 levels back to, again, this is 600, 600 million years. 600 million years, go ahead. Yeah, this is almost the same exact time period as the temperature chart, but you can see where the temperatures uh, the, I'm sorry, the CO2 levels were much, much higher. That's Cambrian explosion, explosion of life on planet Earth. So in this chart, again, just shows you, you combine the two temperature CO2, you can see we're in one of the coolest periods with the lowest CO2. But the way they con you is they will, they will just get a small sliver of that and they'll try to go back to essentially the, the little ice age, which was ended about 1850, the coldest temperatures that we've seen where the Thames River and New York Harbor was frozen over. And that's also coinciding with when thermometers went online. And so they show you, look at how much we've warmed. And that's where they come up with this 1.5 degrees Celsius temperature goals. And we have to limit the Earth's temperature. And by the way, when you hear that, that is United Nations scientists in admission in private emails, Climategate, when they were revealed, they said those numbers were pulled from thin air but not based on any science whatsoever, but every politician will tell you, we have to meet the 1.5 temperature goal. And it's a way of basically shutting down industry, energy, food, transportation, in order to justify meeting some arbitrary climate goal not based on science. Absolutely. I love this chart. I love the other chart that you show because it really does help put a little truth uh, over well. And then truth on the top we're about to talk about because people listening to you are thinking, but why would they do that? Why would they be harping on changing temperatures uh, You know, if really this is the reality? Before we go, you said a minute ago there was one other chart, it would be a good time for the- The US EPA chart to show you like about heat waves, because they'll tell you about the hot, they're gonna call this year, 2023. They're getting set to declare it, the hottest year on record, the earth is overheating, the earth has a fever. If you have the chart, I'll show you. Do you have, okay, he does have it, okay, he's signaling me here, okay. Yes, this, once again, this is the key here, Debbie, this is, Joe Biden's US Environment Protection Agency. This chart on their website, updated, this was updated April 2021. They have, yeah, it's even more updated now. They keep this chart. What you see there, the red lines, that's the 1930s, record high extreme heat events in the United States. These are based on cities turning in their high temperatures. Now, if you look at a NASA chart of the same data, they will show the 1930s cooler than today. But if you looked at that chart 20 years ago, it would show the 30s higher. They're cooling the past using statistics, averages. Instead of using the actual reported temperatures from cities, they say, oh, well, we don't know how accurate thermometers were. So we're gonna smooth over the data, make some adjustments, and lo and behold, the charts will show the past cooling and the present warming. But you can't do it when they report high temperature values. And as you can see there, if you're looking at heat waves, this is continental United States, we've dropped dramatically in, in these heat waves. And the other thing I'm gonna tell you is when they declare 2023, and they declared, I think it was 2016, hottest year on record, it's within hundreds to tenths of a degree between these hottest year declarations. It's within the margin of error of the temperature set. So if you have a, you know, a 12-year-old son or daughter and you measure them and you come down to a fraction of a centimeter and they're a fraction higher. Oh my gosh, you've broken all records. You're as hot as hot. It's that, kind of, it's that yeah. kind of nonsense of that they're trying to pull here. And then of course the next couple of years you can drop and you could have cooling for eight years, but they're looking for anything like an ocean cycle, El Nino year to try to claim hottest year, but it's statistical nonsense. And even the guy at NASA admits it. The hottest year declarations aren't meaningful, but this is very significant. And by the way, the United States temperature data is the best in the world, the most coverage, particularly back in the 30s. So this chart is incredible. And I believe John Christie, climatologist from Alabama, had pointed out that 70% of all heat wave records were broken before 1960 in the United States. So 
Anyone who tells you it's hot, it's unprecedented, no, just refer them to Joe Biden's EPA. I love that. I will tell you, because we're sitting here in the great state of Texas, it gets really hot here every summer, let me just say, every summer. And you do frequently hear people saying, well, you know, global warming, global climate change. It is just the easy go-to explanation to say when you just really want to say it's hot out. And do we have the medieval warm chart? I don't remember if we yes. had that. Yes, do we have the video warming It's from the chart? UN, IPCC. This is important because this is how the guy, note this chart. There's actually calls <laughs> out right now to get rid of the 1930s heat wave. Texas A&M, Andrew Dessler, professor, has now tweeted publicly calling to basically redo the statistics of these charts and get rid of that because it's an inconvenient point. Now, if we have the medieval warm period. Sorry, sorry, go ahead. There you go. Well, if you have the medieval warm period chart, I was going to show you the same thing. I don't know Do if they have, have it. He's, uh, I don't remember if 100%, but they may not have it. All right. No. Well, the medieval warm period, the first United Nations report in 1990 showed this kind of a chart showing the medieval warm period from 900 to 1300 AD, much higher than today's temperatures. And there was a whole movement that literally said, and we had a scientist testify in the U.S. Senate, that he got emails saying we have to get rid of the medieval warm period. The United Nations couldn't sell it. Uh, well, yeah, this is a good example. This isn't the actual U.N. chart, but this is... The Roman warming period, the time of the birth of Jesus Christ, much warmer than today. Medieval warming period, still warmer or as warm. And that's where we are currently. So what happened was when this chart in the United Nations showed a similar chart, they said we had to get rid of it. So they went back, redid the statistics. They came up with a hockey stick chart. chart. They cooled the past and accelerated the present. It looked like a hockey stick laying on the ground. And that's how they got rid of it. It's all statistics. So what we found about this whole process, people say, why are they doing it? This is like running a campaign cause. They're doing spin control for science. They have an agenda. The United Nations was set up in 1988 to look at whether CO2 caused a climate crisis. If the United Nations fails to find CO2 causing a climate crisis, they fail to have a job. They fail to get funding. They fail to have annual conferences in Bali and, and Africa and South America at exotic locations. And I've been there. I worked in the Senate. I've been at five-star Polynesian resorts at Bali UN climate summits with luau's every night. Cool. Now, I was, and my ticket was $16,000 round trip from the US State Department as a Senate employee. Believe me, one thing the United Nations knows how to do, two things. They know how to doctor statistics and they know how to throw a party. And that's what these United Nations, <laughs> these United Nations uh, global climate summits are incredible. I was just at the one recently in Egypt. Of course, now I'm no longer working for the United States government. So I fly coach and I'm in much less nice, you know, much less nice, but the, but the locations are just exotic. They just had the most recent UN summit at the Red Sea Resort in Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt, which I redubbed Sharm el-Sheikhdown, Egypt, for the UN trying to get money and uh, funds for that. So go ahead. Uh, this is all brilliant. It's a great start to our show today. And I want to try to get to what the agenda is behind this, because many people say, I mean, these are climate experts and they're saying things and they have no reason to say it except it's true. And so people who are well, like you and others, myself, we call climate skeptics or climate, you know, uh, doubters, whatever, deniers, climate deniers. Before I get to that, you mentioned, I think earlier, you put together something quite a while ago, which was a list of climate experts yes. who were not on board with the climate change alarmism agenda. When was that and how did you find these people? Well, I went to work, uh, I was an, I'm an investigative journalist by trade. You mentioned I worked for Rush Limbaugh, I worked for a show called American Investigator, which was sort of the low budget 60 minutes. And I worked for Cybercast News and I went to the US Senate right when Al Gore's film was coming out in 2006. And I was their communication director and did a lot of the uh, of research. So one of the claims Al Gore was making was that there were no scientists dissenting from the climate catastrophe. In fact, he frequently said, it's the same people who think the moon landing was staged and people who believe in conspiracy theories and the same with the UN was saying the same thing. They said there were two dozen scientists and that was it. So I set out with the United States Senate Environment and Public Works Committee to find scientists from around the world. And boy, did we find them. We started immediately with 400 scientists, then it went to 650, then it went to like 800, then we exceeded over 1,000. And the scientists started seeking us out. We ended up doing sub-reports on United Nations scientists who left the UN, reversed their view on climate, including Nobel Prize winning scientist, Dr. Ivar Giever, who, who issued a statement. And we put these reports together and it had the name, their affiliation, their climate expertise, whether they were geologists, oceanographers, uh, atmospheric scientists, cloud experts, or uh, a, a geologists. 
and we had their exact quotes, and we released this report with the United States government seal on it, all hell broke loose. We had the media going after it. James Inhofe was under attack. We had at one point, because of the attention on this, the entire United States Senate website shut down because of people seeking this out. And remember, this was an era where even Republicans were all in with Al Gore. This was 2006, 7, 8, 9. We had a Republican, John McCain, with a climate bill in Congress. They were all in. No one wanted to challenge Al Gore. We were able to find these scientists courageous. They stood up. And people credit that with helping to reset that whole debate. And then right after that, of course, the ClimateGate emails came. And it showed the con of the entire movement. Top United Nations scientists were colluding behind the scenes in campaign style efforts to essentially create a campaign cause with no dissent allowed. We were, they were able to evade Freedom of Information Act requests, threaten journal, scientific journal editors if they published papers that countered what the UN was claiming. This was all in black and white. And this is what also led to a mass exodus of other scientists, including people like Dr. Judith Curry. And then, of course, today, this continues. We have people like Michael Schellenberger, Times Hero of the Environment, who's now reversed his view, issued a public apology saying for his climate fears, climate alarmism. We have Robert F. Kennedy Jr., the man I interviewed in 2014 at the New York City Climate March, wanted to jail climate deniers, CEOs at The Hague with all the other war criminals, three hots, three hots and a cot at The Hague, and he wanted to punish politicians who didn't believe in global warming. Fast forward, he's been red-pilled. He now says, and this is 2023, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. says he will not be talking about climate in his campaign. Climate has become a tool of the United Nations and World Economic Forum to impose totalitarian control on the world. That is progress, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, it is. <laughs> so. That is progress, and I had not heard that about him, but I'm thrilled to hear that because he's obviously been huge speaking up about the COVID vaccines and, yes. and helping people. So he's, that's kind of a good uh, segue over there, because, over to the next topic. So you have these people who have locked onto the climate agenda and they, they really make their living. They make their stature, their, their place in society, their place in, uh, in public thought by holding on to this, this climate change fear. And yet all the data we just looked at, the data you know about and bring out, and so many of them just stick with it. They just, they want to silence the deniers or mock and ridicule them as far right. And, and it's a little bit esoteric question, but why is that? Why don't some people, you think scientists are like researchers. If they discover that, you know, it turns out X is a better cure than Y or whatever the science is, they go with it. What is driving all this, these scientists to stick with this? Well, this is, again, okay, let's go back, 1988. Climate science was all over the place until the late 80s. I mean, you can go back uh, and there were reports of global cooling back in the 19th century, in the early 20th century. The Arctic was as warm or warmer in the 1930s up to 40, same with Greenland. And there were many stories about in the 1960s into the 70s. We had, in the 1970s, you had man-made global cooling scares. So before fossil fuels caused climate change, fossil fuels caused global cooling. They believed our aerosols from fossil fuels were blocking out the sun, creating global dimming. You had the same arguments we had to act before it was too late. There was a consensus of scientists. You had people saying extreme weather was caused by man-made global cooling. You had geoengineering solutions. Let's put soot on the Arctic. Yep. You had people saying this is going to cause national security threat. We have to stop this cooling. And then what? The temperature started warming. So then they flipped and started saying this is global warming, man-made global warming. And so what happened was you had this yin-yang. But once the late 80s happened, two things happened. NASA went all in to promote climate change with James Hansen, a man who led NASA, the chief scientist. People are, well, he's a respected scientist. This is a man who was arrested half a dozen times protesting global warming in handcuffs. NASA's dispassionate science was a hardcore activist that frankly didn't sound much different than the Unabomber. Why do I say that? <laughs> NASA's lead global warming scientist, James Hansen, endorsed a book calling for ridding the world of industrial civilization and, and leveling cities and raising them back, turning off the greenhouse gas machine. And NASA's lead global warming scientist, James Hansen, at the time said, the author of the book, Keith Farnish, has it exactly right. This is what we need to do. So we had a Unabomber philosophically 
running, and then of course he retired from NASA. Guess what he's doing now? He's working with, with groups recruiting elementary school kids to sue governments in the United States and Europe in order to basically make this go full Marxist or else the kids won't have a livable climate when they get older. This is the activist we had. So to answer your question simply, it's part ideology, it's part financial interest, it's part group thing, and it's the same thing we felt during COVID. You could ask yourself the same question. Why did so many doctors and public health people remain silent when they knew masks didn't work, lockdowns didn't work, vaccines didn't work? They were terrified of saying anything. Why are so many people silent when someone says a man can get pregnant? You don't want to say anything because you'll, you'll be called a uh, transphobe. Same thing in climate. You'll be called a climate denier. Same thing in COVID. You'll be called anti-science. It's the power of state-sponsored the science with a trademark next to it. I love all that, and it's another great segue to what I want to talk about next. So it's one thing to have an intellectual debate, and college campuses are supposed to be the place for that. You have debates on all sorts of subjects. It's First Amendment, robust debate of ideas. But the climate thing isn't just an intellectual debate. It is a, it is a power shift that we're watching, a, a power-grabbing mechanism as was COVID, a power-grabbing mechanism. So talk, and actually you told me, or it's one of your articles on your website about how people are actually openly connecting COVID and, uh, and yes. the, the uh, next pandemic and climate change. Talk about that, what, what is that? And I do wanna get back to the way, the way the climate fear is being used to seize power. Let's start with that. How is climate fear being used uh, to well, seize yeah, power? Here's the thing, everything I'm telling you about climate was happening pre-March of 2020. Everything changed March of 2020 with COVID. But in the climate world, if you go back, and I have a whole chapter in Green Fraud about the 1970s man-made global cooling scare, the same exact solutions were proposed to stop man-made global cooling, this global dimming and stop the, you know, the too cold of temperatures, which were causing extreme weather and all these problems. They proposed sovereignty-limiting treaties, wealth redistribution, restrictions on private property, restrictions on your movement. John Holdren, who later became China, uh, Obama's science czar, in 1977 or 76, lamented that people could hop in their car, drive to the grocery store, get a six-pack of beer, and drive home in their gas guzzler. So the idea of 15-minute cities and, and limiting people's freedom was alive and well in the 1970s by this activist set. So what happened was the United Nations admitted multiple times in 19... I'm sorry, in uh, like 2010, a vice chair named Edenhofer of the United Nations Climate Panel said, we redistribute wealth by climate policy. This is not about climate po policy. This is about basically system change. Same rhetoric they used with the Green New Deal. They said, the, the architect of the Green New Deal, AOC's chief of staff was like, did you think this was about climate? This is about change whole society using the climate scare. It's important to note all these environmental scares and then we'll lead this into COVID. Back in the 1960s, the mother of all the scares was the overpopulation scare. Paul Ehrlich, who, by the way, is still alive. The guy who said humanity's doomed <laughs> and we're all gonna die is now in his early 90s well, well enough to go on 60 minutes. How did that happen? I mean, <laughs> so he didn't, it didn't come true for him. I mean, I wish him a long life, he's had one. But Paul, <laughs> Paul Ehrlich, Paul Ehrlich, when he came out, he literally called for a radical transformation of society to the point in, 19, in the, the front page of the New York Times, 1969, he suggested that we added forced a sterilization agent in our drinking water supply, starting in Africa and even in Western countries to limit population. In other words, we'd be drinking birth control medicine is the best way to put it. And what's weird about that, by the way, is modern day, just to jump, jump uh, narratives here, New York Times is reporting multiple reports of uh, the vaccine affecting women's cycles and men's sperm oh, yeah. counts. So, yeah. you know, they decided not to use the drinking water. They might be using uh, the vaccine now. But my point is, this had a huge backlash. And again, when I do these presentations, I'll show you the actual New York Times article. This isn't like I have secret documents. And when you look at this, it's incredible because they were just as insane and wacky and ideological and power hungry back then. So my point being, though, Whatever the environmental scare in 1960s and 70s was overpopulation, in the 70s was man-made global cooling, then we had deforestation, save the Amazon, stings rainforest concerts, and then they went all in on climate change. The solution is always the same regardless of the scare, and this includes viruses. Government control, limits on your freedom, limits on your economic ability, 
limits uh, um, on private property rights and loss of national sovereignty. Everything, whether it's all those, no matter, you can plug and play any environmental scare, and now you can plug and play the, uh, the virus scare as well. And so in March 2020, to bring this all together, climate was still, was moving along, but it was still flailing. March of 2020, when Donald Trump unfortunately got duped by Deborah Burks and Anthony Fauci and did the two things, agreed to 10 days to flatten the curve, which they knew was a lie, and now Deborah Burks, his COVID coordinator, wrote in a book bragging how they were duping and lying to Donald Trump and knew it was never going to be 10 days. And the second thing he did, the most consequential, I believe, was signing this uh, COVID emergency declaration, which allowed every governor, mayor, become overnight tin horn dictators of their state, and they could bypass democracy. So that is the key of what happened. And the same people who cheered this on, and then you go to the ruling class, pages of the New York Times, Tom Friedman praising China's authoritarian one-party rule, saying China's rulers were, quote, enlightened, don't have the messiness of democracy. The UN climate chief, Christina Figueres, praised China's one-party rule. Apple CEO said China and Apple's values align. Justin Trudeau of Canada said that he admired China's basic dictatorship. Biden administration officials, Obama administration officials, the World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab had praised China's one-party So what happened in March 2020? The once free West became like one-party China. And that is why the excitement that went through, Jane Fonda was the best one. COVID was God's gift to the left. She did Because that. all of those decades praising China overnight, it happened. We were now subject the most consequential decisions of our lifetimes, certainly in peacetime, whether you could go to church, work, school, grocery store, uh, have a wedding, a funeral, have medical care, surgery, uh, were all literally imposed upon us without a single vote of democracy anywhere in the U.S. No parliament, no county board of supervisors, no city councils, no Congress, no house, no uh, state capitals debated these. These were done by unelected bureaucrats and through executive orders of presidents. This excited them to no end. So at first, climate activists were jealous. They were like, how could this happen? What is going on? They didn't like all the attention. And then immediately they said, we're not going to be jealous. We won in. John Kerry said COVID and climate, the similarities were screaming at us. T Jamie Margolis, a teen climate activist who testified in front of Congress from Teen Vogue magazine, said it best. If we can shut down the world for a virus, we can do the same for climate. And that was almost her exact phrase. Then you had a Bill Gates, George Soros funded scientist who said the world, this is in, again, 2020, right after lockdowns, the world may need to lock down again uh, but, not, but not for a virus. This time we'll need a, quote, climate lockdown. A Bill Gates, George Soros-funded scientist in Europe, Mariana Mazzucato, actually said the phrase climate lockdown. And then they called me a conspiracy theorist. This is Channel 4, Media Matters, UK Channel 4, calling me a conspiracy theorist because I use the phrase climate lockdown. I'm only using the phrase that they coined. And that's, that's where we are. So that's what happened. They got the once free West to emulate China and they never wanted to go. So now the Green New Deal has been introduced twice in Congress, never scheduled for vote, never debated on, no hearings. They don't need no stinking democracy. The Green New Deal is being implemented through every cabinet agency. The Biden is now a climate agency through executive orders, through the banking industry, through ESG, through um, uh, all of this bureaucracy of the federal government and ultimately through the corporate government collusion. That's how they do it. So we don't need, you don't need a big climate bill. There's really no climate bills anymore. We're not arguing about cap and trade and carbon taxes. Uh, it's all about, they're just doing what they're doing without having to worry about it, thanks to March 2020 changing the entire narrative. It changed actually the way people think about their rights in America. This March 2020 thing, I think up until then, most people, if you told them a year yeah. from now, you're going to be told you can't go to church, you can't do this, you must do this, you can't leave your home. We would think, well, that you, know, you must be talking about Cuba or yeah. China, not in America. But it changed the fear induced by COVID got people kind of frozen and then thought, well, this is just short term. As you say, they said oh, two weeks and pretty soon the, the and this is what I think is, was such a, a massive overtaking of America or take down America. It changed the, the common person's thought about how much freedom do I have? Am I really allowed to do this? If the government says I can't, then I guess I can't. Uh, I want to talk, you mentioned ESG and you yes. know, this is another agenda uh, driving item and we have a little video. video do you have yes. that, Emilio? If okay. you ever wanted to know what ESG is, 
one minute, exactly one minute video, I think answer all your questions. Here it is. Hey, I'm Brian. My pronouns are he, his, him. I understand you're looking for a small business loan, but you're having troubles with your ESG score. I was denied. What's your business? I operate uh, drilling equipment, oil and gas. Uh-huh. The E in ESG is for environmental. You're in a dirty industry. So I can't get no loan? Well, let's take a look at your company's social policies. Tell me about your plan to create social justice. Social justice. Do your employees get paid time off for abortions? And tell me about your diversity, equity, and inclusion plan. Well, I ain't got none of that. I'm a driller. I just hire good people to do the work. Well, maybe there's one more thing we can check. Do you have any female co-owners? Uh, no, just me. Ooh, have you ever identified as a woman? Or even just non-binary? It could really help your score. What? Ugh, your load is denied. Come back when you fix your ESG score. Classic. <laughs> there you have a Texas or Oklahoma driller trying to get a loan to do a business, but every criteria which we grew up with and America was about for giving a small business a loan is no out the window now. We're now catering to a fraction of a population, a woke minority who have literally captured our government and our corporations. And again, no one voted for this. Like you were pointing out yes. about COVID. No one voted for everything COVID's doing. <laughs> no one voted for ESG. And we have either the government itself or private sector kind of taking over what, what has happened with ESG is the private sector uh, just deciding we're going to impose this. And the American people are all, they, they are the victims. They're right in there, not just America, but people around the world. They're the victims of it. We never even voted for this. Which makes you want to turn, uh, you, we were talking earlier about the kind of marrying of the idea of COVID and climate yeah. change. And you actually want to find the Rockefeller Foundation and World Health Organization announced a partnership to prevent pandemics that are fueled by climate yeah. change. Okay. This is, so. this is the World Health and Rockefeller, millions of dollars. They're basically following the lead of the Harvard School of Medicine two years ago, 2021 announced that unchecked climate change would lead to more COVID-like viruses. So drum roll, please. If you don't support climate action, if you don't support the Green New Deal, you are a grandma killer. That's where they set the stage. And following up on that, the journal Nature, other studies, British Medical Journal, the journal of uh, 230 medical journals came together and said that the response to climate change should follow the same response as COVID, i.e., Bypassing democracy, authoritarian regulations coming from essentially people who are experts and know better than you. What they've done here is climate needs COVID or public health. COVID doesn't need climate. For years, people thought we're going to scare you about polar bears. And by the way, polar bears are disappearing, but only from Al Gore's books and movies. <laughs> Al, Gore made them, Al Gore made them the poster child in 2006. And then in his sequel, 2017, never once mentioned the polar bear. Why? Because there's at or near historic population highs. They've never counted this many polar bears. And uh, even the indigenous people of Alaska admit this. So how does Al Gore handle it? Polar bears just don't exist. Don't mention them in the movie. But, but you can't scare people about polar bears. You can't scare people about 100 years sea level rise. What can you scare them about? Your children will die in a week from a virus, your grandma's gonna die, you're gonna be incapacitated the rest of your life. So instead of this, you know, trying to scare you about climate, they had a real live virus, which by the way, they took the climate playbook, exact same thing. I, I have, there's a book 1985 called Everything I Learned About, uh, Everything I Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. It was a 1985 famous book. I changed the title to Everything I Needed to Know About COVID I Learned in the Climate Change Debate. You had Neil Ferguson, the top climate modeler, the virus modeler, come up with extreme scenario, millions dead exceeding the Spanish flu, unless we basically go full totalitarian. Same in climate world. You had saying we're all going to die, there's going to be Florida underwater, unless we go full totalitarian with UN climate summits. You had the same uh, predictions of all these predictions happening. And then in the COVID climate world, you had the same uh, dissent crushing. You had scientists in the climate world decades ago, if they dissented, there was one scientist named Mitch Taylor on polar bears, uninvited from, to a scientific conference because he was, not, he was sounding the, the, the news that polar bears weren't threatened by uh, global warming. 
you're in the COVID world, you had a scientist, Nobel Prize winning epidemiologist, I think his name is Michael Levitt, uninvited to scientific conferences because his view on lockdowns didn't comport with the, with the public health. He was opposed to, to, to COVID lockdowns. So you had the same deplatforming, canceling, and defunding of scientists in the climate world that we later saw in the COVID world. It was so bad in the climate world, when Biden first came in, he had an EPA science advisory board. 50-some scientists he just fired because he didn't think they would go along, given their background and past advice, they wouldn't support his scientific agenda on climate and regulation. So he got rid of them, like his first or second year in office. So now he can credibly claim when he comes up with a new, rule, a, a new bureaucratic ruling, all of our scientists agree, there's no dissent. This is 100% consensus, or maybe they'll find one. This is 97% consensus. Meanwhile, the only reason you have that consensus is you've gotten rid of everyone who opposes. That's exactly what happened in the COVID world. So the, the parallels were unbelievable when you look at that. And so right now, you have the Rockefeller WHO organization. You have the WHO declaring climate as the greatest existential threat of the 21st century. And as I mentioned, you have Harvard and you have, um, you have all of these public health figures now incorporating climate change into uh, essentially public health mandates. So that's how they're going to try to get restrictions on cars, restrictions on airlines. And that leads us to where we really are right now in 2023. It's the intentional collapse of our energy, transportation, food supply, and even free speech. And this is all part of the Great Reset, which again, back in March 2020, in June of 2020, three months after lockdowns, the head of the World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab, said this is a rare, narrow window of opportunity to which to reset the world, this time in the name of climate change. And that's what we've seen. You will own nothing and be happy. You will go nowhere. Everything you want will be delivered by drone to your house. Someone else will own it. You won't. So go ahead. That was actually a wonderful. You jumped around a bunch of things yes. I want to get to, and I loved, oh, thank you for all of that. So this is part of this global reset thing that people have been talking about, and I think people think it's kind of abstract. Hey, a bunch of nutty people over yeah. there, well, economic forum, they want to, but they're not going to be able to reset us. I mean, that's just their thing over there, and we are America. But there is great sympathy within American government toward a lot of the global reset agenda. And in particular, uh, you talked a second ago about how uh, this alarmism just kind of, we, and when emergencies are announced, we just say, well, we better step back and wait because we don't know what was going to happen. So you can foresee, for example, if Biden were to if, if President Biden were to declare a climate emergency, I mean, that's well within the realm of possible, and then begin totalitarian or, or begin just uh, new rules, new policies, don't go through Congress, and you're going to have a compliant society that might just go along. I'd love to just paint the picture. What do you think could happen? Yeah, so in my book, Throughout history, the ruling class governing elites from the best universities with the most advanced degrees have always sought out reasons why the rest of us can't be free. And that's just societies throughout Europe, the history of civilization. Yep. So if you go back, in my book I quote a BBC historian, and he goes back to the uh, uh, Roman Republic, the descent of the Roman Republic into an empire, essentially was done through emergency power, centralization of power. The centralization of power in Middle Ages was through emergency powers, the abuse of emergency powers. Going through Germany, 1930s, Hitler's rise was through the abuse of emergency powers and the sort of takeover, the continued takeover. You know, he was originally elected, and then, it was, you know, then there was no election after the first one. So if you look even 9-11, uh, you had George W. Bush signed the 9-11 uh, emergency, the Terrorism Emergency Powers Act, which gave the United States government extraordinary powers to fight terrorism. Well, this led eventually to the creation of the Patriot Act, which then led to domestic surveillance of us, which then led to the Biden weaponizing the Justice Department to the, the, the most recently Justice Department declaring uh, parents at school board meetings to be domestic terrorists. We're still living under the 9-11 emergency power. The COVID emergency power was passed. It just ended because the Republicans took Congress and Biden was fighting with them and there was just enough Democrats, but it just ended in March of 2023, the COVID emergency powers. So finally, we come out of that emergency power and what's happening now? AOC, Senator Markey, Senator Chuck Schumer, and many others are trying to urge Joe Biden to declare a national climate emergency. Never been done in the United States before. What would this mean? The Center for Biological Diversity, a left-wing uh, environmental group, 
has now announced in an analysis, and again, I, these, are, these are their sources. This isn't like I'm quoting the Cato Institute or some conservative group. They said it would give Biden 130 new executive powers. Just like COVID, these powers would extend to governors and mayors, because now we're living under a national climate emergency. We don't need a vote in Congress for anything. This is an emergency. Sound familiar? Again, so what can they do with this? Well, we're already seeing what they could do. They're talking about odd even gas station days, shutting them down. They're talking about restricting car sales, restricting freedom of movement. We're seeing what's happened in France. This, let's start with transportation, the intentional collapse under climate emergency. Well, first of all, under a climate emergency, climate activist Eric Holtai says you can only fly when it's morally justifiable. Now, what does that mean? You want to fly to Florida for vacation? Not morally. Maybe for a funeral. How many times can you go for a funeral? We'll have limits on that. But this is the kind of stuff that could be done through executive action. You think I'm joking? We're living in this climate lockdown now. In France, two weeks ago, they now are imposing a two and a half hour flight ban on short haul flights in the country of France, the first of its kind globally. Why? To save the world from climate change. You are now forced, if you were flying two and a half hours or less, to drive, which has a much higher death toll than flying, so you're gonna have more death, or forced to take a train. That's the beginning of a climate lockdown. Then, of course, you have all the, the car bans, which I can get to in a minute, and that, how they... Short well, Netherlands, too. Netherlands just have yeah. a... Because of climate change, they're basically seizing farms. Yes. You know, rolling that's out. all... Okay, what, happen, <clears throat> what happens there is you have for deck. Now, when it comes to energy, this is the weird thing. In many cases, people voted for these energy policies, so you can't say they were necessarily imposed upon you, at least earlier on. But here's what they didn't vote for. They were voted for a lie. They were told solar and wind were taking over, were cheaper, that fossil fuels were unnecessary, and that we were going to have just plentiful energy. And they were sold a bill of goods. So they did vote for politicians. So what did these politicians do? And I, in, I know I'm in Texas, but George W. Bush, um, again, funded all the United Nations climate science. He went to the UN summits or sent delegations and he endorsed their science and he endorsed their, basically their goals, even though he never got us into a, specifically into a treaty at that time. But what happened was the United Nations, um, what, what, was the, what was the question again? The, go back to. Netherlands. The Netherlands. So the United Nations had these net zero treaties. All these countries from the Netherlands to France to England to the United States to Australia, New Zealand, Canada, agree to these UN climate goals. Once you sign on to them, you come home. In the case of the Netherlands, by the way, their, their president is a man named Root, who is a young World Economic Forum leader, who Klaus Schwab says, we penetrate the cabinets. Uh, the World Economic Forum is literally behind all of these governments pushing these COVID lockdowns and, and the climate lockdowns. But in the case of the Netherlands, the court had to rule that they had to get their emissions in line because the country agreed to these ridiculous virtue signaling. I mean, everyone just thinks, oh, the politicians over there agreeing to some UN thing, the hell with it, it's meaningless. It's not meaningless. So what happened was they had to start in court orders to, to reduce emissions, forcing bureaucrats to say, well, look, we have to go after high yield agriculture, but they're not going after big agribusiness, corporate owned, Chinese owned, the big guys, they're going after the climate compliance laws are gonna go after small, independent, family run, for generation farms, up to 11,000 farms facing closure in the Netherlands, which has one of the most highest environmental farming standards in the world. They're the number one meat exporter in, the, in Europe and the number two food exporter. So, gee, what a great country to knock out because their goal is to create, the net zero goal and the whole Great Reset, is to create food restrictions so that they can then force us to eat synthetic meat, which is lab-grown lab meat from stem cells from an animal, mixed in a lab in a steel vat with food coloring, antibiotics added, and then festers for a few months, and then they literally put it on a 3D printer and print this goo out, and they keep going until it has a perfect texture and it looks and tastes like meat, allegedly. Bill Gates is funding this along with Richard Branson, and the goal is you create food shortages by going after high-yield agriculture and going after agriculture. Uh, sorry, going after livestock, cattle, sheep, uh, and pigs, because you're going to create meat shortages, which then make people more you know, willing, because they can't afford regular meat, to start eating synthetic beef. And it also makes you more willing to eat insects as a replacement source. And that's what's happening in Europe. They're giving kids in elementary school 
crickets-based snacks. They don't look like crickets. They have fat and seasoning, and they look like a potato chip. But in Australia, they're telling the kids to go home and pester their parents that eating insects is just fine. So they're normalizing the insect eating. The EU just approved insect powder. Now, Italy, under Georgia Maloney, the Donald Trump of Italy, uh, she has now rejected that. It's saying Italian pasta will not be made with mealworms and crickets. Yay. So you got to give her credit. <laughs> Who thought that would be a stand up and cheer moment uh, five years ago? Yeah, they're not going to eat pasta made from crickets. Like, huh? But now we're cheering that. That's how desperate we've become. You know, that's how insane this agenda's moved along. So go ahead. You know, I can see we, this happens every time. We have 10 minutes left. I do want to oh give our gosh, audience a chance I know, <laughs> right, to ask questions. Uh, there's a microphone over there. So I'm going to do one more question. If you think of a question, please love to have you do it. You stand up in the middle and speak right into the microphone because it's got to be picked up, not just in this room, but online. So we'd love to have you take questions. I want to just tell you, I, I want to say, I want to end with something hopeful because we can see in America, we're headed to 15-minute cities. They're yes. making impossible to have cars that burn fossil fuels. Electric vehicles are more expensive, unreliable, and easily shut down by the government. So what is the way the average citizen who never agreed to any of this, like how do we fight back? As I like to say, it's time to gouge your eyes out and give up. <laughs> right, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, All right, I'm kidding. So that's our solution, <laughs> yeah. Okay. In my book, The Great Reset, I have a whole chapter to this, and I've really been giving this a lot of thought because it can be very depressing because it's yes. happening. What's sad about this really is that Republican leadership on Capitol Hill is completely clueless. Congressman Dan T Crenshaw from Texas doesn't even believe there's anything called The Great Reset, thinks it's just a big joke. But we're living, I just need to, before I tell you what to do, we're living it. We're seeing gas-powered car bans happen without a vote. This was in case of California, executive order, unelected California Air Resources Board. Corporate banks aren't going to give out car loans for gas-powered cars. The World Bank isn't going to give money to, uh, to uh, car automakers to make gas-powered cars. And you have cities in California and uh, Colorado imposing bans on the creation of new gas stations. So even if you still own a gas-powered car, you're going to have a gas station shortage. Anyway, this has to be stopped. And the way I say it is we can't do what we did with COVID lockdowns. What we, the mistake we made there was we kept thinking people aren't going to put up with this. People are going to start fighting back. And we waited and waited and waited and waited. This time and next time if there's a COVID, we have to start fighting back immediately, start organizing. The greatest thing we have, and it's in every one of you, and it was witnessed by the school boards across America. They led the way for ending COVID uh, virtue signaling and COVID tyranny. And this is according to the New York Times and the Democratic Party. Angry parents showing up at school board meetings complaining about critical race theory, transgender ideology, and COVID masking and, and social distancing literally toppled the Democrat party machine in the state of Virginia. The epicenter was Loudoun County, Virginia. Terry McAuliffe, who was the former DNC chair, thought he was going to walk into the governorship. He lost. New Jersey governor almost lost. A couple other elections went against the Democrats that same year. They did focus groups and the Democrat Party's own voters were expressing displeasure. It spooked the leaders within weeks of this focus group based on these angry parents which turned elections. Every major city from Baltimore, Washington, Philadelphia, New York, San Francisco, LA lifted vax and mask mandates across the country. And it was because of pushback. So what I would argue is in the Berlin Wall in 1989 didn't fall down live on CNN in November because the East German government said 40 years of Soviet domination, that's enough, let's let the people be free. It came down because people no longer gave their consent to tyranny. And it came down to a spontaneity. It's the little things. Don't wear the mask. Don't social distance. Don't give in to the vaccine mandates. Defy every order. Demand, the, 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 concretely, we need emergency power reform. I think it was an epidemiologist who said there's nothing that's happened since March of 2020 legislatively or legally to prevent it from all happening again. In other words, they can declare another emergency and they can bypass democracy and they can do vax mandates and mask mandates and stay at home orders. We need now all 50 states at the local levels, like Ron DeSantis is a leader in this uh, in Florida, to make it so that you can't impose it even at the local level. There's certain inalienable human rights, the right to breathe when it comes to mask mandates, the right to protect your body from unwanted medical intervention would be another. And, um, and the idea that no government should have a power to say you can't leave your home. Just one quick aside to say how insane it was. Deborah Burks praised Lombardi Italy's 
lockdown and said she wishes we could have done that in the US. Now, that may not mean anything to you, but here's what, Lombardi, here's what Italy was doing. They had it to such a lockdown where you, need, you could only leave your house for one hour a week. You needed a government-issued permit to go grocery shopping. This is what our public health leaders in the United States working for Republican presidents wanted. And then the Biden administration openly talked about uh, interstate travel ban for private vehicles during lockdowns. So we need reforms. The biggest would be emergency power reform. We need that at the federal level and you need it at every state level because you, that is the number one issue because you cannot give them the power to say an emergency. And by the way, misinformation is included in that. So you can't even protest that. Of course, unless it's something like Black Lives Matter and we agree with you, then that's okay because that trumps the, our public health thing. Right. This is a coup of democracy, and that's what happens. So the way to fight back is not comply, reforms, and to get your local politicians. It's time to get them talking about it. It's time to say, hey, we're not going to ban gas-powered cars. We're not going to ban meat. We're not going to allow Bill Gates' monopoly to be the single largest farmland owner in America and then say we, went, we need to eat synthetic beef. We've got to have reforms that limit Chinese ownership. It's time that we actually make these reforms, and it's got to be done at all levels. But it's got to come from us, and it's got to come with pressure on the politicians. The politicians will never do it on their own. Thank you. Right. Thank you. Amen to all of that. And from people in this room who are loud and are activists, the vetting of candidates, not just to say, do you believe in small, you know, low tax, limited yeah, government, but abstract. push, push, yeah. push, push, push on every single issue. Do you promise and then pressure on them if they don't, if they don't comply with 100% with the notion because at the state level and the county level pushing back against the federal government, that's where the power of the people is going to be expressed. Now we're down to three minutes. Okay, love to have your questions. Don't just sit there. No, come on. Someone has a question, I'm sure. There we go. Thank you, sir. Hello, thank you for your presentation today. I would like to ask a question. Um, what is your recommendation for an alternative approach? And that is, um, I believe everything you said, and I'm not being argumentative, but we as humans on this earth should be good stewards of the earth. And what I think your message would be even more powerful if you could give us some suggestions that we could do positive that that are legitimate yes. concerns and things that we could do. Thank you. Yeah, if I were doing a presentation, I would open with since the first Earth Day, the United States has radically cleaned up our air and water quality. We did it through wealth creation at the same time, increasing our population and our economic development. We did it through wealth creation, technology, innovation that we led the world in reducing carbon dioxide emissions, if that's what you care about, because of the switch from natural gas to coal, because of the fracking horizontal drilling revolution that no one predicted in 2005. Everyone was predicting the U.S. have much higher emissions. It went away because we had radical technological innovation. So absolutely, we don't want to conflate the two because climate change, and I actually in my presentation show you mainstream media saying the problems of air and water quality have largely been solved in the United States. The World Health says we're among the cleanest air in the world. Now, there's a lot, all sorts of problems. There's lead in Michigan. There's the train wreck in Ohio. There's areas that don't have good air quality. But as a whole, we've come a very long way. We've also have ways now to handle species extinction. Uh, we know how to recover species. We know how to forestry now, so-called sustainable forestry, even though I don't like that name. But it shows you how you can cut the land. And I did studies on this. I, I didn't do studies, but I reported on studies about like tropical forests. You can't distinguish the, the logged forest seven years after between plant and animal species because of new techniques, whereas you know, it wouldn't clear cut. You cut out little slices and you allow it to grow back. So the environmental news is very good, and we keep going with all of that, but we don't conflate climate with pollution, and that's the problem we get into. So, but thank you, that's a very good question, and you're absolutely right. We, I should have led with that, because people need to know that you, you care about a clean earth. You mentioned clean air, and the fact that the numbers are getting better. How do you address the chemtrail issue and what we're doing with the seeding of the skies? Yeah, that whole thing, weather modification. Now, interestingly enough, both Russia and China have like, China has a Department of Weather Modification. And this has been going on, there was a HARP program, it's been going on with all sorts of experiments. Both Chinese officials, Russian officials claim they can create snowstorms and uh, weather storms. Even more chillingly, Bill Gates now is funding through Harvard University 
efforts to inject the atmosphere with uh, some kind of soot almost to block out the sun, kind of like the 1970s global cooling. So he wants to cool the earth, which even the advocates of you know, worried about climate change say this is insane policy. But so it's happening. They're trying. Joe Biden had a slip of the tongue last summer and said, we can't change the weather yet or something. He made some comment like that. But anything they could do, they will do. And there's a lot of research money by billionaires into that. Uh, but I would still say, even if, even if all that were true about, all that, still, if you look at all the current weather and climate, hurricanes, floods, tornadoes, wildfires, and droughts, there's either no trend or declining trends on all of those on global timescales, 30, 50, 100 years. And that's according to our National Climate Assessment, which is even by Catherine Hayhoe at the University of, the University of Texas, and also by the United Nations climate scientists' reports that are buried in the report. So I don't think they're making the weather potentially weird at the moment, but they're certainly putting the money in research, and if they can, they will. And it's after four o'clock. Okay. I loved having you on the show today. Okay. I just honestly, we could talk for three hours. Oh, thank, thank you very you. much. <laughs> very quickly, if people want to read your work or donate to help your work, they can go to Climate Depot. ClimateDepot.com, and I'm at, at Twitter, I'm at Climate Depot. And my book is The Great Reset. I tie it all together. The book is a fun book. Opens with Rod Serling of the Twilight Zone. And this will only happen if we allow it. All of this I'm talking about. We cannot allow this. Cannot allow. I love that. It's a great closing message. We cannot allow this great reset to happen. Again, thank you so very much for joining thank me today. Thank you, Debbie. And for everyone else, thank you so much for tuning in to America Can We Talk every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time. I do this show, America Can We Talk, to talk truth about America because America matters. And I hope you'll tune in every Monday to Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time, uh, and we'll just be always talking more about saving this country. Thank you for listening. America, can we talk truth about America? Can you